Welcome, welcome to the RC Report. It's been a while. Back at you. A lot of things going on in the sports world, even more things going on in the political world. So I felt like who better to get on here to the RC Report than my favorite guest, Joe Mance. What's up, Joe? Hey, how's it going? Going all right. So a lot of stuff going on with politics. Uh, we got an election. It seems like it's not even going to be this year. It seems so far away to me, though, But as far <laughs> as, like, the general, because the Dan's been running forever. But uh, watching the debate, and we paused for an extra day to take in the debate, uh, I'll ask you first. I was going to do my takeaway first, but let's, let's ask you. What was your big takeaway from the debate? Um, I mean, the whole thing just was a mess. <laughs> that was probably my first takeaway. I think it was a on box. They said it was like when you have a substitute teacher who has no authority and the class just runs wild. That's a good analogy. Both of us from the teaching background. That's definitely a good analogy. I thought the <laughs> moderators were really weak. Yeah, they really. They didn't enforce anything. They let the candidates just kind of, like everyone, just constantly went over. I mean, Biden even made a joke about it. And then, you know, the the questioning in these debates, and it's not just this one, it's pretty frustrating where, you know, every debate we spend a bunch of time on health care when the reality is Medicare for all is never going to pass. And if you don't get rid of the filibuster, you're not even going to get a public option. So I don't know why we spend all this time talking about differences that don't really matter, but that's just the way it's been going. Something that really bothers me about the debates, and they did it with Trump too, and I guess you need it, but they are so um, so in tune to the news to make a candidate answer for certain things and to create conflict. And to me, like, I, ideally, you're going there to discuss ideas and who's the best candidate. I'm not sure if you need to start the debate out with, hey, Bernie, you're the front runner. Let's go after you. Hey, Michael Bloomberg, you're, <laughs> you're uh, new to the debate. Let's go after you. It's like they're trying to create a storyline when you should just debate it instead of trying to, the media trying to create a storyline with the questioning. That always bothers me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, they're clearly, yeah, they, you want those big moments. I mean, and then the problem is that's what the candidates want, too, in a lot of these cases, where you're just trying to search for that moment that's going to get replayed on cable news five million times over the next week so that you get more positive coverage instead of really getting into substantive issues. And, yet, like, you know, I said before, too, it, it seems like it's either, A, you're trying to create this conflict, which – Sometimes it's, it's you know, an actual conflict that matters, but a lot of the times it's not. And then B, if you're not doing that, they're asking, like, what would happen in your perfect world where you had huge majorities in Congress instead of how are you actually going to do this job if you get it? Tell us how that's different yeah, a lot than of the person it, next to you. A lot of it is discussing absolutely nothing that has anything to do with the practicality of the job. I think you're right. It's uh, it's funny because even going back, way back to the Romney 
and Obama debate, and this was even to defend either one, but Romney said the greatest threat to America was Russia, and he was laughed at. And then look at, like, the last administration towards the end of the Obama administration and this administration. That's probably true. And it's like the debate and the conventional wisdom can be so far away, or even any of the things that George Bush discussed with Al Gore in the debates. Like, almost none of that was his presidency, except for, like, the tax cuts maybe. But it's just amazing how useless they are other than for the horse race, I think. Yeah, I think, right, it's so hard to predict what is going to happen. Because obviously, you know, maybe all all that Bush-Gore stuff turns out to be really accurate, except 9-11 happens. And now the whole course of Bush's presidency and the country and the world shifts in another direction. And then, I mean, I think it made total sense for the conventional wisdom and for Obama to be focusing on China, because if you really look like power-wise, I think China's the growing country. But yeah, it was. in the short term, yeah, you've got Putin, who's much more aggressive in what he's trying to do, in part because I think he realizes they're not on a trajectory towards greater and greater power like China is. But, yeah, real-world events constantly throw us into different directions that you can't anticipate. So that, that part, I don't know how much we can really hate on, you know, moderators and candidates for that because who knows. Well, but, even that, we're just not yeah. focusing on foreign policy as much, just not focusing on, um, like, the wide range of views that the president needs to have. So, you know, you don't have to know about 9-11, but could we get a lot of George Bush's views about the Middle East? Now, it's a long time ago, but I watched those debates, and I know the focus of it was in the Middle East, you know? So, But if we mm. knew what his views were on it, that, that's kind of important. And if we know what, uh, I guess, in this debate, if and, and I guess uh, Amy Klobuchar kind of, kind of tries to answer it, and they're kind of trying to push Bernie on it, but what are you going to do with gridlock? What are you going to – a lot of that, and then your girl, Lizzie, is trying to talk about the filibuster. But a lot of these debates, like you said, have been focused on something that's not going to happen, which is Medicare for all. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right about foreign policy because that's really – that's an area where the president has a lot of leeway. Congress has increasingly kind of given up power or presidents have seized power on that subject over, I mean, the entire history of the United States. So – that's really somewhere where you could, you could do a lot where I think I feel like Bernie should probably be pushing that more in like a contrast to Biden where saying, you yeah. know, I didn't vote for the Iraq war. I'm not interested in getting us more involved in these places. That's going to cost lives and cost money. But yeah, we rarely have that and discussion. Instead. I mean, we we had the discussion about, you know, Bernie being, having some complimentary things to say about Cuba. And then I don't know how Bloomberg thought that a president, I don't know how to say his name. Is it G? It's X I, but how he wasn't a dictator, which was just an insane comment, which really helped Bernie out because he could point it out and be like, that's crazy. Why are you guys angry at me? (laughs) And then, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, the the filibuster is a huge problem. Like, the reality is if – now, it never would have happened because even if Obama wanted it, 
too many founders would have opposed it. But if he could have gotten rid of the filibuster at the start of his presidency back in early 2009, you could have had a larger recovery act, you could, which maybe helps a lot helps more and prevents the Tea Party landslide because the economy recovers faster. Could they absolutely they had the votes for over fifty votes for uh immigration reform. Like that would be done. Instead that's just a constant issue that just gets pushed back and pushed back regardless of who's in power because well they had like fifty five votes, but because of the filibuster you need sixty. So there's all these things that could have been done if you didn't have it. And then going forward, I mean, even if, if let's like say Bernie wins, Democrats retake the Senate. Good luck getting Joe Manchin to vote for Medicare for all. So you're going to yeah, need like right? plus one vote there. Kristen Sinema is not going to go for that in Arizona. So you need at least 52 votes. But if you're not going to get rid of the filibuster, it's what's the point of any of this? None of it's going to happen. So we don't talk about, yeah, how you're going to deal with the reality of gridlock, what you're going to do if Mitch McConnell is standing in your way. And, yeah, what are you going to do with foreign policy? Those are the two things that you have more control over. And I think it's really interesting on, like, the filibuster question where, you know, Warren has obviously been pushing that. Like, she wants to get rid of it. But then someone who's viewed as more of a moderate, like Buttigieg, has also talked about getting rid of the filibuster. And I think that kind of – I think it kind of goes into Buttigieg is kind of new on the scene. Warren's only been a senator since, what, 2012? Whereas, like, Bernie and Biden, who are on opposite ends of the moderate left spectrum, they're they're both really reluctant to ever go there. And I think it's just kind of a – it's what happens when you're in the Senate for so long. It just becomes a norm to you that can't be touched. The Senate, ha- the Senate has a very high opinion of itself, and so do the senators and Absolutely. the tradition. And they once even someone who's a radical like Bernie is like, well, you know, that's not how we do things. There's such a mm-hmm. respect for it, and you know, and realistically, I mean, depending on how you view the Supreme Court, the Senate is the second most powerful body or, like, grouping that we have in in America, again, depending on how you Supreme Court. So I think they, they think a lot of that. But And then, like, maybe they can say traditionally what happens when the other group gets in power. But, yeah, I just don't think that they really – the moderators do us justice, and they didn't do a good job of actually moderating, controlling it at all. I, I, I'm starting – and also, everyone's so desperate. So it, it can be a mess like that. And I almost don't blame the candidates because you have to get your message out there and you have to be aggressive. But the moderators have to, like, if you know it's the end of the game and, like, you're a referee, you've got to maintain or just, you know, it's game seven and you know it's going to be very physical. You can't let it get so physical that it's going to be, like, control it. I don't think they did a good job. But let's let's move past bitching about <laughs> the format of the debate. <laughs> So um, I got some stuff here from Morning Joe this morning. They gave some summaries, and I'm going to read the summary, and then you tell me if you agree with the summary of each candidate's performance, and I, uh, I'll weigh in too. All right, so they said they gave a thumbs up to uh, or arrow up to Joe Biden, turned in his best performance of the election cycle, 
even if his gun homicide number was off by 150 million or so, which is pretty bad, Biden helped his cause. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I think it was there. I don't think there was any like clear winner like the week before where Warren just kind of dominated the debate. This, yeah, like we said, this week was kind of a mess, but. If I had to pick a winner overall, I think it would be Joe Biden because, I mean, really, he's kind of had this tendency to either, I don't know, just not seem like he knows what he's doing up there, or even when he is pretty good, he'll often fade. And I thought last night, he, that was probably his best performance all the way through a debate. I think he was irritated by how no one was following the rules of the debate. Well, I know he was because he kept saying it. Like, at first, it was a joke. And then he he was like, I guess I just keep talking. Like he realized that <laughs> the rules weren't going to be followed, and I think it kept him engaged because he was just irritated, honestly. Yeah, he got a little petty with it at times, but I don't think that's something that really sticks with any voters. Like, oh, he didn't like that the rules were being followed. Like that's not going to matter at all. Yeah, that's not going to hurt. So him. yeah, I I, I thought I, I would agree that Biden's he makes winner. so many mistakes though. He's just a gas machine, and he always <laughs> has been, but just in the era of social media, it's just so much worse now. Like, I've always known, when I used to watch the Rush Limbaugh, they would play all his clips during when he was vice president, and he's got some doozies, but he had this thing where he said 150 million people, how many other people he said died by gun death, which wasn't even close. He uh, tried to take credit. He always says, I wrote the bill. I wrote the bill. I wrote the bill. And Andy <laughs> was talking about a totally different bill. Like, he's just, his best performances, he has two gaps that I guess you, it's almost baked into the cake. Like, you're not going to not be against Biden because he makes those mistakes. But it certainly doesn't help his cause. Right. I mean, I, th- I think, especially with debates, sometimes we grade Biden on a curve. <laughs> like definitely, but right, Biden's like best Bush. is you know some other people's like oh that was okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's, like it's just Bush a couple gaffes, and I mean honestly, being off on a you know it's dark, but being off on gun shootings, overestimating probably isn't a big deal after today since we had another mass shooting. So better to be on the high end if you're going to screw up. Not by 150 million, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 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 I think we can all just we're we're all just glad that his number was wrong because that would just make things so much worse. Yeah, it's true. He said it with conviction, you know. It's like sometimes he'll catch himself, and I think the revelation that he had a stuttering problem has helped him. So now you can't really hit him, but it's not always stuttering. Sometimes he's forgetting and being absent-minded and just being like the nutty professor, but I think he gets a pass a lot for that. But I like Joe. I mean, I'm never going to be like hard on Joe because I just I like him. But uh, all right. So I mean, mean, right. When when he fumbles words, it can be stuttering. When he's off by 100 million people, then that's just him. Or he's yelling over Amy and saying he wrote the bill and he won't let her finish, so she tells what bill that she is actually talking about. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the problem. I wrote it. I wrote it. He always says that. At first it was cool, but now that he does every debate, you can't say I wrote the bill. And then when they talk about the crime bill, you're not big on saying that you wrote that. So yeah, right. <laughs> kind of backed off on that. Uh, they said uh, Mayor Pete. The Cal Ripken of debates always shows up, usually good. 
one of the only candidates on stage not engaged in a wrestling match with the English language. Yeah, Pete is Pete. Pete's like a Ken <laughs> doll. He's there. He's smooth. He's going to get his lines and his talking points out. Uh, he didn't really get petty from what I saw with uh, Amy. He backed off a little bit on that. But so, you know, he, he's, he is what he is. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the Cal Ripken thing is not a, not a bad comparison because, yeah, he is, he's just a smooth debater. He's clearly someone comfortable in this setting, which is not the case for a number of those candidates. Biden and certainly some others that we'll get to. And, yeah, he's, and he, he's an eloquent speaker. So, yeah, I mean, I think he always – he tends to come off well. Sometimes he speaks just in platitudes. But if yeah. you're not really paying attention, you might not realize that, so he can kind of skate by. He's like a sharper Rubio. Like Rubio got caught speaking in platitudes too much, <laughs> and Christie called him on it. And uh, they don't really have a Christie up there. Um, so, But I think – I think he'd I think also, he also be does better, better at figuring format. a way around that than Rubio did. <laughs> yeah, Rubio, I don't know what happened. I, I honestly couldn't – I remember I missed that debate and just saw it online and was like, how did this happen? But yeah, uh, Rubio. I, I think Trump just threw everybody's game off. He had to be more um, on your feet, and it just kind of made everybody – everybody was off the cuff, and so that what that clearly – wasn't his thing. But I think Pete is better served, not that I ever thought he was going to win, but if Pete was in a debate with three or four people or a one-on-one debate, I think he would really shine. He's really good in one-on-one interviews. A lot of that is how he got hot in the beginning is just being willing to go on all the shows and be on all the panels. You right. Know? So, But I think this debate, this doesn't do him very much justice. Alright, uh, Bernie, they got a, they have a, Pete was going up Burning was kind of status quo. They have a arrow going to the side, kind of like an equal sign almost. But for Bernie, sure, he screams, and yes, he was a little shaky last night, but Bernie still got the best shot of winning the party's nomination and inviting Lee Greenwood to sing the Nicaraguan national anthem to kick things off, <laughs> Sandinista-style in Milwaukee. So they're taking a little shot. This is MSNBC, by the way, So, but I guess they're referencing well, but it's the, also uh, morning Joe. the dictator thing. <laughs> um. But Bernie is also kind of a Cal Ripken type in that I don't think I've ever seen Bernie Sanders have a great debate. I don't think I've ever seen him have a terrible debate. He really is just kind of the same every time. He's going to give you the same Medicare for all talking points. He's going to talk about, you know, how he's kind of the outsider and he's Mm going to be the one who can bring change. I do think – I just don't think it's smart the way he's going about this Cuba stuff and then China saying that they have brought more people out of poverty than anyone. And partially on that one, it's also because they did that when they opened up their markets and embraced capitalism more. But yeah. like on, on the merits, he's right about Cuba. Like they're, they were an awful regime. They also improved literacy. Sure, that's true. You don't need to go around telling people that. that you it say, doesn't yeah. help you at all. It hurts. Actually, it hurts understand in Florida. That. Yeah, it does hurt in Florida. Why does this matter anymore? After the things that Trump says about dictatorships, I remember he said, uh, let's see, I looked it up just to make sure. He said, they were talking about Putin, and he says, you think our country's so innocent? Let's see. You think <laughs> there are a lot of killers. You think our country's so innocent? And uh, O'Reilly says, but he's a killer. 
There are a lot of killers. You think our country's so innocent? And this was during the Super Bowl, uh, 2017. Like, Trump can say anything. <laughs> so I honestly don't think I don't see how Republicans make this a big deal with all the things that Trump says about dictators and his relationship with uh, Kim and South Korea and Putin. Like, it just I just think they're making a mountain out of a molehill. And Obama did say similar things about Castro, and I do understand the Cuban population in Florida would be upset by that. But I, I don't know if that's going to make or break them for, for all of Florida, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I I definitely agree with you. Like, overall, that doesn't make it – like, whatever he said, and most of it, like, the more problematic stuff that Bernie said in regards to this stuff is stuff he said in, like, the 70s and 80s. It's not even recent yeah. stuff. Where, you know, Trump's going and, like, palling around with – dictators now and saying like oh yeah i wish i could do that to the media the way yeah like do. currently yeah like, and, and admiring so, them as leaders and saying they were good leaders like what like i don't even understand the democrats I, I, can't, even I can't think that i can't think of a democratically elected leader that he's complimented the way he's complimented a number of dictators dictators yeah so i, I don't even know how that's even i mean and bernie would be the one to actually say that back which a lot of people would like miss that point, but Bernie would be like, "Wait a minute, you just said you said da 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 da." But yeah, politically it's not smart, but I do like Bernie almost sticking to it and not backing down in his Bernie way. And I do think he's going to give you what he gives you in the debates because he's so forceful. Is that yeah. you're going to get what you get out of him anyway because he's going to speak in the very forceful way, which makes you like him or don't like him or whatever. He's a known entity, I think. Uh, my girl, Amy, my favorite, her time is winding down, I do believe. Uh, the morning show, graphic says, what'd you say? I think that's her last debate. It might be. Uh, let's see, got one next week. Well, they won't be before Super Tuesday, so yeah, you're probably right. The senator was, they have the arrow going sideways, like just, you know, holding ground. The sender was solid and steady. Even the moderators forgot she was on stage for most of the night. The end is nigh. Yeah, I think you might be right. I think she's come very far, but in the end, the results matter. I Everybody thought it was really cute that she got 20%, and she did really well in that one debate, and she got third place in New Hampshire, but it didn't mean anything in Nevada, and it's not going to mean anything in South Carolina either. Uh, I guess she'll keep going to Super Tuesday, but I just don't see a way out. And when she actually had to have a little bit of the pressure on her, she didn't fare so well. Yeah, I, I mean, she's gone through this whole she cycle, did. really never have never having pressure on her. So that kind of I think it just lowers your defenses. And when she's on the attack, I she think just very good. Yeah, she wasn't ready right. for that. She wasn't ready for the case with the African-American kid that uh, looks like might have been wrongfully convicted. She wasn't ready for the Mexico question. Everybody makes mistakes, but that's just an unforced error. The debate when they were coming at it, even though that weekend they were coming at her on the, uh, on the talk shows because she did the rounds after New Hampshire, but she still didn't seem prepared for the end of the debate for the moderators and for Pete coming at her, and I just – and she almost like, and you know, we slightly view, uh, I guess, feminism and, and how female candidates are approached or, or they approach themselves. 
I mean, she almost basically said, she almost like pulled the woman card and said, my feelings were hurt when Pete went after. She's like, are you calling me stupid? Like it almost was like she was going to cry. And I just, I, 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 that's the only moment I really like her. And that's the only moment I've seen of her where I wasn't super proud. I was really thrown by that moment because, I mean, no one ever just comes <laughs> out and says something like that, which, and I don't even it think was like that was his wife I don't or think something. He would ever say mom. that was his point. Right. It was, I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea. Like, I can't say whether that was like a gendered thing or not. It was just bizarre, though, for like candidates it to just, say that. And you just wonder, like, yeah, was she trying to make it appear like he was a bully or. I like I don't know yeah, how p- putting it out there that another candidate might think you're stupid. I don't see how that's beneficial to you at all. Yeah, we saw. I, we I, I mean, and she she probably should have, and she probably should have been prepared for at least Pete to come at her because no one's gone after Pete quite like Amy. So yeah, I mean, yeah. If anybody like I'm not, I mean, Pete's okay with me. I like Amy, but it's been very clear. For several debates before that debate that she does not like him and so if she didn't see that come, and then the big debate that she had was partially at his expense so you know she has crafted this thing where she has the good one-liners and the zingers and she can hit nobody really hits her back she counter punches you know but nobody was really after her mm. but when she had to 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 really take some blows she she wasn't that that good at it so yeah it's kind of disappointing i mean but i think she ran a good campaign but i do definitely think it's probably time uh so so on the way down which was interesting what they say i wouldn't i don't know if i would say that for like a thumbs down for her but for uh elizabeth warren at the solid start the massachusetts senator repeated her same tactics a week later against the guy with zero delegates Warren's strategy remains a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of a short man joke. Well, she did make a short joke, which I thought was interesting. On the campaign trail, she made a short joke. I mean, (laughs) I don't know that I would be embracing that if I were her making short jokes. (laughs) I mean, literally, it's just like it's beneath her. (laughs) I know. I I don't. That's what I was trying to say to you yesterday. And I'm try, I try to be aware of my biases and everything. It was the first time that I found her unlikable. And I don't think she was being unlikable because she was a woman. It was she already dragged this man across the stage last debate and got a lot of buzz and a lot of fundraising. And then she still came back at him. It doesn't seem like it serves a good strategic purpose. And it was a little redundant and just I, I think he literally represents everything she's against, and it's in her party, and I think she can't stand it. I mean, yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. He's really the polar opposite of what she stands for. Where, you know, Steyer's also a billionaire, but he's not a billionaire with a history of sexual harassment within the company he owns, of racial profiling. And I mean, well, he's literally, literally used to be a Republican. He <laughs> helped fund like her Republican <laughs> opponent in 2012. 
So she has yeah. reasons all across the board why she would despise Mike Bloomberg. I mean, I'm fine. I was fine with her continuing to just rake him through the coals because, I mean, like her, I'm just completely opposed to Michael Bloomberg as the nominee. Like, you could talk me into Bernie. You can talk me into Biden. I mean, you could talk me into someone like Buttigieg, who I think in some ways is kind of an empty seat sometimes. But, you know, like his problems with African-Americans, I don't think come from a place of, like, animosity towards African-Americans. It's a lack of care. Mike Bloomberg just seems to, like, have an issue with black people. He was saying that, like, redlining was a good thing, apparently, in an interview, like, two yeah, years really ago. That's insane. Life. It's like he wants, like he really doesn't. There was something I messaged you yesterday, but I can't remember. He said something even in that debate. I was like, he just really doesn't like black people. Like he actually, the show and the things he say, like how could you blame like minorities for the for the crisis in 08 or 07? But like, he just, <laughs> I don't understand. And he can't help it. Like his disdain for poor people and black people. And he even said uh, there was another quote when he first started running about how he was taxing the poor. Basically, he was saying that the poor take up so much of the medical costs because they eat poorly that upcharging them was fair. <laughs> I, I don't think he's dealt with a real person in a long time. <laughs> a long time. Um, and if he has, I feel bad for that person. Yeah, it's he is like, so it's, tone deaf. I, I I just I don't, and we can get into him. But last debate and this debate, I guess he was slightly better. But like, who wrote these jokes? The jokes were horrible, <laughs> and I I can't tell if he is his delivery, or if the jokes are just ill suited, or. He just accepted those jokes after they had 30 of them, and the guy just gave up whoever was trying to write his <laughs> stuff. Because it was bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Definitely does not have any uh, comedic timing. Even if, even if you had a well-written joke, I would not trust Michael Bloomberg to deliver it at all. I think he tried to make – didn't he try to make a short joke? And he tried to make a joke about how bad he did last time. And the timing was off, and it didn't make sense. And he's like, okay, he's like, got to this point and said, I have, I must make this joke. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. You know, I felt like if they were talking about Rwanda, he still would have made the joke. Like, oh and he said, the, uh, I talked to you last night about it. He talked about he is prepared for leadership since he stepped from the rubble of 9-11. That's almost a direct quote. Like, what? He just doesn't get it. Like his human button is broken. And just no awareness of how he relates to other people. Like, like even no Trump, who also lacks, lacks that in a lot of ways. I mean, his, the, the ways he's awful. Still, there's like a portion of the population that eats that up. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I love this. Yeah. Like, because there there are and people who are sexist or racist. And well, yeah, and even though his delivery can be all over the place, when he he delivers, like, you know, the equivalent of, like, a Trump burn, you understand that that's what he's doing. You might, like, be repulsed by it, but it's clear. Where Bloomberg, I mean, just being an elitist asshole doesn't really (laughs) appeal to anyone except maybe the few other, like, (laughs) 
billionaire assholes. Like that's it. That's the, your whole. That's I mean yeah. I, I, the only reason he's alive at all is because he's spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Otherwise, he you know he'd be pulling it. He'd be down there with Gabbard wherever she's at right now. Yeah, he's a res. I know Teddy's still running. It's sad, but uh, I keep seeing her on the polls. Uh, I, I either I see her on the polls. I took a survey that he did by text when she was on it. You know, she's on the ballot. Uh, I think Bloomberg is funny too because his commercials have so little of him talking, and that's probably why it's effective. Because it's I like how he got the one where it's all just him and Obama, just to make it seem like Obama is really in on Michael Bloomberg. It's tough. It's it's like who told him he had a chance? The strategy is something that people always say they're going to do, and they, it never works because there's so much media coverage based on Iowa and New Hampshire and now Nevada, and you've got a year leading up to that, so you're already behind. And he did like the most effective thing you could ever do, but he actually had to get on the stage and speak and interact with people, which is his weakness. <laughs> So I guess we need to find a billionaire that can wait till Super Tuesday almost and actually be able to be a human, I guess, we would try to have that. And I guess in some way that's Tom Steyer, but he did try in Nevada, and he's trying in South Carolina. But uh, what do you think of Steyer in general? I kind of like him, but it's just like I can't seriously consider him for some reason. Yeah, I mean, he, unlike Bloomberg, he comes off as a like decent guy who cares about people. I, I, one of my issues just in general though with him and Bloomberg, I'm, although I'm a little more confused about it with Steyer because he doesn't seem like a complete egomaniac. Is why are you running when you're a billionaire? Fund someone else that people like, that people know. I think he actually was originally doing that with Jay Inslee, and then Inslee's campaign never really took off. I would have maybe just poured a ton of money into Jay Inslee's campaign and basically done what Bloomberg did with a respected governor of Washington who's already taken big stances on the environment and stuff that Democrats would love. I don't know why you wouldn't do that instead of launching your own campaign. I don't know why Bloomberg, if if like his real issue and Steyer's real issue seems to be like, oh, they're worried about Bernie or Warren winning. Someone they think can't win, or if they do win, they're going to do things that they don't like. Throw a bunch of money behind Pete. Throw money behind Biden, behind Amy. Or they could have done Harris when she was still in the race, because God knows if you threw $100 million behind Kamala Harris, she'd be up there right now. I Or even Cory Booker. Like, there were a bunch of options. And instead, they're like, no, it's got to be me. Like I, I don't understand that perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steyer, I, I, I'll say that no one is saying the things on race that he is. Um. So maybe you could put him in there. Even the black candidates, I feel like we're in a strong on race. I'll say that as a black person, but I feel like he's kind of actually compelling on that. But I just I don't I don't know. But first of all, a billionaire in the Democratic Party running doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't matter. No. There's not a billionaire right now with the way the Democratic Party is. Like Hillary Clinton took hell for her donations 
and her coziness with Wall Street, <laughs> and she was the establishment. Right. So how in the hell is a billionaire going to come in there and win? Right, exactly. And and also it's just it's bad either way if you're a billionaire because either you take in a bunch of donations from other people and now it's like, well, why are you a billionaire? Why are you taking in money from other people? <laughs> but then if yeah. you do what Bloomberg does, you're trying to buy the election. Like no matter what, you're going to come off like a dick and a Democratic The Republican going to do it. It's going to be, oh, I'm the businessman. I understand how things work. And that appeals yeah. to Republicans more because they're not as obsessed with inequality. They're kind of like, yeah, exactly. you, you built yourself up. Whether or not that's true, they like that. Where, yeah, in the Democratic primary, yeah, I don't know how that works. And the funny thing about Bloomberg is he can't even, like, admit in a Democratic primary that he isn't the reason why like Democrats and liberals like to say that it's a lot of you know I'm generalizing they like to say you know you got rich because you got lucky or you use the system that's in place to some degree that's true you know and and your race and all that whereas Republicans are saying you know it's all your hard work somewhere you know there's a mix of all that but it's your yeah. hard work and you pulled yourself up and you did it on your own you know you can't even like get that out of his mouth Steyer can but Bloomberg can barely get out of his mouth that he didn't do it every single part by himself. So it's just a bad fit. And you have to, it, it makes you, your greatest strength, you have to like almost deny. And Bloomberg did a really bad job at the first debate. He's like, yeah, I make a lot of money. I worked hard. And that's okay to say, but that's not the mood of the uh, <laughs> Democratic Party, especially based on who's winning. So uh, that's really not their mood. Uh, there was something right, and he, he even almost said he, he bought people. He almost said he bought he people last it. night. It came out. It slipped out of his mouth. He said, yeah, I helped this person. I helped this person. I bought them. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> He said the word bought. And that's like, that was the Freudian slip. Like, that is how you really feel about it. So that that's just how they think. At least Trump was like, yeah, I did give money to him, and I gave money to you, and I gave money to you. Like, so the, yeah. the honesty is kind of refreshing. Uh, I thought we had a discussion about Morning Joe and uh, on the website of Mary Sue, their Facebook feed, they I felt like they kind of took it out of context. But basically, Joe Scarborough said that he was hearing that Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren should drop out. He was speculating whether that was really his thoughts or not. But the website was trying to say it was sexist. I was trying to say that in general about what he was hearing, like the political scuttlebutt, but you still felt like there was some sexism involved. Um, I mean, like I said, I mean, I commented, I think, on their Facebook thing that I understand the perspective of Klobuchar should, should drop out because clearly, based on everything we've seen of her, things she said, she would much rather prefer that, like, Joe Biden be the nominee than Bernie Sanders. And, I mean, what, she, she's polling in the single digits. The only state she has any chance to win is her home state of Minnesota, which I guess she'll beat Bernie there potentially so that I guess you could argue there's some plus side there if you're trying to stop Bernie. But for the most part, you know, if she drops out, the majority of people that are supporting her, I would assume maybe some of them are – you know, kind of leaning towards a woman. So maybe they'd go to Warren, which probably won't, doesn't stop Bernie. But I would imagine a lot of them are going to go to 
Buttigieg or Biden, who are the moderate people. So I get, I get the perspective that she should drop out because she has no path forward. With Warren, I, I think it doesn't make any sense to me because let me try to find where I, I pulled up the article, and somewhere in here he mentions exactly like why Warren should drop out. Okay, let's see. Um. Let's see. He said something about a lot of buzz on Twitter in regards to that, which is what goes to what you said, where you're, you're saying he, he wasn't necessarily saying this is exactly what I think so much as this is what I'm hearing. But uh, let's see. He focused on Warren saying it's also, and in quotes, time for her to get out of the race. You know, she did weak in the early states. Is it time for Elizabeth Warren, if she keeps winning, finishing in fourth, fifth place, is it time to to her to get, I guess he misspoke there, is it time to her to get out of the race to help consolidate efforts against Bernie Sanders? That's what a lot of buzz on Twitter is suggesting that's the case. I mean, that's just, A, why are you just repeating what you heard on Twitter? (laughs) And I'm kind of guessing, like, Joe Scarborough's Twitter probably looks a lot different than my Twitter. His is probably a bunch of centrist people. Mine's a bunch of Warren people who obviously, like, and I would never be like, well, I think Warren's got a great shot because a bunch of people on my Twitter are still all in on her. Like, I'd be like, no, she has almost, she would take a miracle for her to be the nominee now. I would just repeat what I've heard on Twitter because why would Elizabeth Warren drop out to consolidate the effort against Bernie Sanders? What, who thinks that that's they something she wants? Right. right, like, if anything, like, Bernie people would be logical for saying Elizabeth Warren should drop out. I yeah, I don't think she should. Certainly not before Super Tuesday. But, but like, that would be a logical one, argument. One aspect of it I thought that was logical is that she's underperforming and she doesn't have a chance to win. Basically, now be I mean, basically Bernie has to have a heart attack. You know, I, I'm just, I'm sorry yeah. at this point. And I, I, right. I've we're not wishing that overall. on him, but I'm not, I'm definitely not wishing that on him. <laughs> I've gotten used to Bernie. He's grown on me. I will vote for the man to the contrary of all the people who are either moderate or conservative that might listen to this. I'm sure they're going to be mad at me. I don't even like to talk about it, but I will vote for Bernie quickly if he is the nominee. Not wishing that, but that's what it would have to take. Oh. <laughs> uh, like, she is not done well when it actually comes to voting. And I know I mentioned on that Mary Sue comment thread that she had jumped up in the latest poll. And I, I would have to see some polls post this debate. But she – it was a time where maybe last summer maybe or there was a time where it looked like she might win Iowa. Everyone was impressed, and we can see how impressive she is in debates. We can see how impressive her organization is how well she speaks, how well she's got a plan. But every time she goes to the polls, she underperforms. So I think that logic is valid for her dropping out. I would never suggest it. I'm not big on people dropping out, period. Like I was okay with Alan Keyes still running in 2000, and he kept (laughs) running, and it was just like it was Bush and somebody else and Alan Keyes getting 8%. You know, I, I just believe in like, it's your right, and people have the right to vote however they want to vote. But I just didn't – I didn't see it, and sometimes I think that 
and I struggle with how we treat female candidates and everything, but sometimes I think we just coddle them. Like, she's losing, man. Like, it's just not happening. So I can see that, granted, he chose the only two women, but they're losing. And there might be other reasons why they're losing, but they're losing. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't argue against the fact that, you know, Elizabeth Warren's been struggling. She, well, she came third in Iowa, which was reasonable, but then, you know, getting passed by Klobuchar in New Hampshire was not a good sign. And like I said, it would take a miracle. Like you said, it would probably be and what's she like coming a to Bernie Vegas? Sanders heart what's attack, which would then, what, what was that? What did she come in Vegas? Was she fourth, fifth? Uh, Nevada, I think she was fourth Second again. Vegas, Nevada. I think it was fourth, yeah. <laughs> well, because well, yeah, yeah, Bernie was first. Yeah, Biden and Buttigieg were ahead of her. So, yeah, so it was third, fourth, yeah. fourth. So, yeah, obviously that's bad. My, you know, my issue, again, is just like I think it's really lazy analysis because like, if, 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 if you wanted to say she should drop out to help out Bernie, then I could see that argument. Like, you know, as a Warren supporter and someone who's going to vote for her on Tuesday, I don't want her to, but that's a reasonable argument. I would get that coming from the left. Coming from a centrist who wants to stop Bernie Sanders, he should want her to stay in the race. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Pete has no chance. Like, I don't, I don't know what they – I mean, he can't get black people to vote for him. That's a problem. Right. And like the, it's going to be pretty embarrassing in South Carolina, I feel like. And I don't think Super Tuesday is going to be very pretty for him. So I, I don't – there's no path for it for Pete either other than you just say he yeah. has that centrist lane. But if you're not doing anything in the centrist lane, what's the point of the centrist lane if you're going 40 miles per hour? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's hard to argue he should drop out when, you know, he – one or tied or however you want to say it in Iowa. I mean, he's done respectable since then. But yeah, he he doesn't have a path forward. I don't, like you, if your goal is to consolidate the vote against Bernie, Klobuchar makes sense to drop out. Warren does not. But like literally everyone else does, except maybe Biden, because I think he is the person with the best path forward. You would be like Bloomberg, yeah. drop out, start throwing money for Biden. Yeah, Buttigieg. I mean, if you really black people are not going to vote it. for you, drop out, endorse Biden. Yeah. Bloomberg and Pete should drop out and let Biden consolidate if they were trying to be strategic. Bloomberg and 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 Pete would drop out. Uh, I mean, Amy, I guess would drop out too. And then you have a three-way yeah. race with Warren in there, kind of taken from Bernie. But she might drop out if that happened. But taken from Bernie, and you got Biden. It's three of them. That's the only like. Realistic way that you would beat Bernie, which I'm not even sure they still could beat him like that. Right, and and to Joe's point, in wanting people to drop out now, it could definitely be too late after Super Tuesday. There's a decent chance that like you could still stop him now. Like I think on 5:38 has their you know percentage chance of each candidate winning a majority or a plurality. So right now, Bernie, for a plurality, so not even a majority that would guarantee him the nomination, but just a plurality of votes, he's at 68% right now. So that's roughly where Hillary Clinton was on Election Day 2016. So the odds 
are like, yeah, Bernie would probably get the most votes right now. But it's not a guarantee at all. But if the center left remains so divided and Bernie's just racking up delegates on Super Tuesday where some of these people aren't viable in numerous states and they don't pick up any delegates, it, you know, that number could be 90% in a week. I, did you buy the whole thing? I think this is it's true, but it's overdone, this moderate lane and this centrist lane, because it acts as if the only reason people vote for people are their ideology. And I just don't think that's true. And I think Bernie's coalition in Nevada says it's not true. I think he's going to come in second in South Carolina, and some of that's going to say it's not true. I don't think that Bernie's just getting votes because he – and I, maybe he's getting the majority of the votes because of that. But I don't think he's getting it just because he's a socialist. I think part of it is his personality. Part of it is that he's going for the working guy, and he has the ability to pick up the same kind of voter that Trump picked up because, I mean, I just – it's just not – so cut and dry, in my opinion, that – and some of the head-to-head shows that, too, that all of, of Buttigieg's voters are going to go to Amy or Biden. I, I just don't – and also, in Nevada, uh, I, Pete and – not Pete uh, – Biden and uh, Bernie were, like, tied for moderate votes. I just, I just don't like this uh, <laughs> narrative. I agree. I think – the reason we end up in that discussion so often, especially yeah. in the media, is because for people who pay a lot of attention to this stuff constantly, so the media members who are writing about it and talking about it, for them, it's like there's a world of difference between Biden and Bernie. They're like, if you know, if I was a Biden supporter, Bernie would be near the bottom or vice versa. But the average person isn't paying attention to all these policies all the time. They're not, you know, key, they're not reading some long paper about the minutia of, you know, why Medicare for all makes more or less sense. Yeah. You know, the, we, we've seen a lot of these polls where throughout the, throughout all the last year, and, you know, there's, it's changed a little bit as people have gotten to know more of the candidates, but a lot of the time you'd see like Biden supporters second choice would be Bernie because those are the people they knew. They're like, Oh, I know Joe Biden. He was Obama's VP. Mm-hmm. I like him. Bernie Sanders, he was the runner-up last time. And, like, some of these people are probably now like, you know what? If he'd been the nominee, he would have won. So, that, you know, they have these positive mm-hmm. ideas about these people. And they're like, I don't know who Amy Klobuchar is. This Pete Buttigieg guy yeah. is too young. You know? So, yeah, there's, there's knowing the person, feeling like you know their personality. There's, I mean, there is race and gender playing into it. Geography, even, you know, sometimes, you know, I think Klobuchar tries to run on it too much, where it's like, oh, the mid, and Buttigieg, where it's like, oh, the Midwest. Yeah, but they like, love if you're a voter that. in Iowa, that probably appeals to you because it yeah. makes you sound even more important. So there is, I and think, a, make a there's a huge number of things. You've got to make a connection. At the end of the day, whatever the policies are, You've got to make a connection. When people, when I see people talk about it on Facebook and they talk about it, they say, I like so-and-so. I don't like so-and-so. Now, like the really wonky people like us might go over the policy, and I'm looking at all that, too, and I'm kind of a man with no, uh, no land being like a moderate Republican or or, a, uh, or just a never-Trumper, basically, that has finds himself almost having to vote for a Democrat. 
So some of that I'm going by, like I do like Amy for the moderate part of it. But as I watch this, like I do enjoy Bernie's personality. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy uh, Warren's personality and like who they are as people. And that, that allows me to vote for them, I think, if they were to win. But I think a lot of it, it, like they're just not automatically going to go the way they want them to go. And I think especially mm-hmm. when it's this wide open, candidates is so different. You have a woman, you have two women, you have two older men, a very young man, two billionaires. Like it, they don't fit into these neat categories that the media is trying to make them into. Yeah, I think, like you said, the connection really matters. And, like, in these debates, it's not always, you know, what policy you push, but it's, like, how you push it, which can seem ridiculous sometimes when you're, like, well, if the policy should matter. But the reality is if you're the president, you also have to sell this stuff to people. It's not purely, like, yeah. oh, this person knows what they're doing. You have to be able to get other people to buy in. And it was like Joaquin Castro, or Julian Castro, I'm sorry, I said his brother's name first. But Julian Castro <laughs> was a candidate I really liked. He was a really progressive guy. But I I remember there was the debate where, you know, Biden kind of stumbled over something, and he was like, you just repeated yourself. Like, you know, he kind of hit him on, like, you, you know, it basically came off as, like, hitting him on kind of on an age memory thing. And a lot of people were just really turned off by that. They were like, he's done for Yeah, it was now. ugly. And I was like, I still really like him because I, I'm a guy who's yeah. like following Julian Castro and was like, oh, I really like a lot of these policies he's pushing. But when uh-huh. he's, you know, like the eighth candidate and you just see him being mean to Joe Biden, who even if you're not in on Biden, you're kind of like, well, that's just a mean thing to do. Now he's done. Yeah, exactly. Like he's out for these people. So, yeah, I mean, personality is a big but, part of it. But Biden's more sympathetic. And then, and Bernie's a really interesting one because, so, yeah, exactly. And the one of the things that Bernie had trouble with his last debate was when they brought up that he wanted someone to primary Obama in 2012, and he's just trying to pretend oh, like that did never Biden happened. Bring that up? Yeah, he did. He did. I think, uh, I think it was Biden. Bring it up. I saw the clip, but I didn't listen to it. But I saw that. I was like, "What's he talking about?" I said, oh yeah. The thing about it, and one of the reasons why senators don't win is because they have so much on record. And the longer you're a mm-hmm. senator, the more votes you've taken, the more opportunities you have to be wrong, the more, like, just maneuvers you make that are just strictly political. I remember maybe it was John Kerry that voted president a lot. I can't remember who it was. There's somebody like that. And that was a scandal. They're trying to go out to Bernie now because they hadn't gotten things done. But he's like, I've been doing things behind the scenes and da 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 da. You know, it's just so. Well, he's almost better off as being the guy who hasn't done that much. Yeah, you're better off, or being a governor where you're an executive and and every move you make, there's no underlying theme why you sign a bill. You sign, you basically sign a bill because you support it. But you could, there, you know, there are like. Uh, rituals and like uh, regulations that you might vote for or process stuff. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. And I guess our last political question, do you think Bernie is the existential threat that everyone on the left seems to think he is? 
Um, you mean like existential threat to like the party, I guess to or the party, like, like to hurting the party? Like, are we talking that, about like James flexibility or into or... the world? So, so electability or more like if he gets in power, he changes everything? Or which one are we really no, talking No, no, no. Well, I guess to me it's really both. But what I'm really talking about is I think the real fear is that him, him shaking things up. But what they're uh, saying is that he will get killed, and even if he does win down the ballot, uh, they will maybe lose the House, and it'll be it'll hurt the other candidates. Basically, that Bernie will hurt the so, party in a very yeah. damaging so, way if he's in nominee. So, I mean, just real quick on the former, I I think people who are worried about like, oh, he's going to bring in socialism, blah blah blah. I would not I, like if that's where you're coming from. I would not be that concerned because, as we discussed earlier, there's a lot of constraints on what you can pass and what you can do. So, I mean, even if he gets, again, even if he got rid of the filibuster, he's got at least two very moderate senators in the Democratic Party. So he's not going to suddenly sweep in. And I mean, A, his goal isn't even to make us, you know, Venezuela or whatever. But we're not even going to suddenly become like Denmark or whoever. That's not going to happen. So people, if you had centrist Democrats or even never Trump Republicans should relax. He's the nominee. Just vote for him. Nothing crazy is going to happen. As far as will those people vote for him, though, I think, you know, my thing this whole primary has been I have no idea. <laughs> like, I thought Trump would <laughs> definitely lose. I'm, you know, I've really tried to humble myself because of that. I mean, the, the last time I was on your podcast was like early November. And we were like, well, it's pretty much 50-50. It's going to be Warren or Biden. Now it's like, well, it's a two-thirds chance it's Bernie. So who knows? Yeah, it's I do quickly. think one thing I saw that did worry me is, you know, so much of his, what he's driving for, this revolution thing, seems to be premised on the idea of, like, record youth voting. But the reality is, like, if we're just talking like under 30, under 30 voters have never matched the rate that 30 to 44 year olds vote. And they've never matched the rate of the demographic above them. Like it's always the older you get, the more likely you are to vote. It hasn't met what Obama was the nominee. Youth vote went up and it got a little bit closer, but it didn't reach the heights of these other demographics. And I read some article that said based on their, what they've polled, you know, he would have to hit a record by like at least 11% or something of youth vote to make up for the votes mm. he would lose among like never Trump Republicans. And I think moderates were pretty evenly split between him and Trump or like independents. So I think there is a danger. And I understand why people are a little more worried about like the Senate and the House just because so much of Oh, kind of Bernie's coalition because you really have these people who are not who are antagonistic towards the Democratic Party, not just like oh the big bad DNC, but just in general like all oh, too many of these people are you know, corporate shills or neoliberals or whatever they want to throw out there. And will those people show up 
and really care about these down ballot races? Will that happen? I think it's a fair question. I'm definitely not in the like Bernie dooms us. You know, like we said with Biden, he's going to have a million flubs if it's just him versus Trump. You know, if, if Biden was like this, if he had Buttigieg's eloquence and stuff, then I'd be like, Biden's the most electable. Let's just play it. Well, I, could yeah. buy, I would buy in to like to play it safe, go with Biden. But he could just fuck up over and over again and try to do the mono mono thing with Trump and end up losing. And so, you know, I, I think whoever the nominee is, I think they all have relatively equal chances because I'm just not willing to go out and say, like, this person's clearly better because who the fuck knows a guy named Barack Hussein Obama turned out to be the most electable person with the last since Reagan. Like who had that coming? Who had Donald Trump winning, especially after he talked about grabbing people by the pussy? Like yeah. we don't know. <laughs> so but my advice to people is if you're worried about Trump, just vote for whoever the democratic nominee is because they're not going to turn us into socialists. And if you're worried about someone being electable, go out and work to make them electable. Don't, you know, don't just keep tearing them down and freaking out. That would be my advice to James Carville and any other Democrat. <laughs> James has been freaking out. I love James Carville. In my most conservative days, I always appreciated and loved James Carville. And I'll summarize it because I guess we're getting a little lengthy if we're going to get to football. I think – in my opinion, I think Bernie's the best person. I think who wins is almost always the best person because the campaign is just grueling, man. And if you can come out on top, you earned it. Even Hillary, who had a lot of advantages or whatever, but she worked her ass off. And I think the campaign itself to run for president is so grueling that it shapes you, and the best person usually wins. I'll say that Bernie's people are really dedicated, and I think it's going to be a street fight. And he really is like the other side of the coin of Trump. So if anybody's got a shot, I think Bernie won't be defi- – he, he will not back down. He will be strong, and I think it's going to give people a real contrast because I think they do tap into the same problem. They just have dramatically different solutions and, and values. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's, hit, let's hit a little bit of uh, well, sports here real quick. Oh, go ahead. One thing real quick. I, I want to co-sign because I've, I've, the same thought has occurred to me. Generally, the person who gets through is the most electable because, yeah, you have to prove yourself. I think that's why I was never a big fan of, like, oh, Bernie for sure would have won. Maybe, because, like you said, maybe he would have drawn into the stuff that Trump did. But also, you know, Hillary beat Bernie by almost 4 million votes. It wasn't as close as people seem to remember it. So I'm not convinced that 2016 Bernie would have definitely beat Trump. I hope 2020 Bernie, if it happens, will. But, yeah, I think the best candidate, I, I agree with you, usually comes out. And even like something like name value. Well, he would have been a disadvantage for name value with Trump, you know. So mm-hmm. if he couldn't handle Hillary's name value, he wouldn't be able to, you know. So it's like that's all part of it. You usually have to run more than one time to run for president. A lot of times you have to run multiple times to do it unless you have really great name value like Bush or you're an anomaly like Obama. But 
you know, those kind of things. But yeah. even Daddy Bush had to run more than once. Reagan had to run more than once. Yeah. So it happens. Mm-hmm. And, and getting there, Romney had to run more than once. Um, so football, a lot of talk been going on about Dak and on the page. And I try not to come down too hard on people because they call me a homer. <laughs> but I, I was anti-Dak until this year. And I don't know, maybe it's the Ringer podcast, but I'm starting to come around on, I guess, quarterback value as far as paying them. And do you think – or what? I guess what's your – what, like the annual salary, what annual salary do you think Dak is worth? Um, so it's like straight up in a vacuum or in the reality well, like that – the the more recent your contract, the, the more you get paid. <laughs> well, I guess that's how you view it. I guess that a lot of people do that too. They're like, "What do you? What is he really worth? Or what is he worth in the reality of sports?" I guess just how you define it. I mean, you know, in a vacuum, just who cares? <laughs> the more recent you get yeah, a contract, yeah. the more you're worth. So, I mean. I think you have to look the starting point, which I'm assuming is the starting point in their negotiations as well, is you're going to look at the similar QBs who have signed recent extensions. So you're looking at Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. And, I mean, Goff got to a Super Bowl. So you could, if you're the Cowboys, you're probably arguing, like, well, he got to a Super Bowl. And Wentz, you know, he was maybe going to be MVP if he didn't get hurt that year. And then if you're Dak, you're saying – well, did you watch last season? I'm better than Jared Goff. And did you watch the last three seasons? I'm out there every week and Carson Wentz isn't. So, I mean, looking at what they got, you know, it was what, $32 million, I think, for Wentz, a little higher for Goff. So, yeah. I mean, if I'm the Cowboys, I, I would easily go up to 35 I don't think that'd be a question. It'd be like thirty-five million a year, you know, a hundred, ten, hundred and fifteen guaranteed. I think Goff was at a hundred and ten. So yeah, I would go. Goff got hundred thirty-four. Well, I don't know. I don't see the guarantee here. Okay, go. Ahead. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. They said one hundred thirty-four, but I think it's one hundred ten. I think you're oh, right. Oh yeah, one hundred thirty-four. Yeah, total. So yeah, to me, thirty-five million, one hundred and ten guaranteed. If it goes a little above that, I wouldn't sweat an extra million if I'm the Cowboys. What, Wilson's the highest paid now, I think? Yeah, 35. Wouldn't he have the most recent? So if he wants, you know, if you put it, give him 500K extra a year than Wilson, but a little bit less guaranteed, I'd, I would be okay with that. We've seen now, you know, in a more inventive system, and if you're a Cowboys fan, you're hoping that McCarthy's going to inject maybe even a little bit more into what Kellen Moore is doing. And you also hope Kellen Moore just gets better at his job because that was his first season. So if he gets better, yeah. Cooper's there. I think that, you know, you could reasonably expect Dak to play similar to last year where he's a top 10 QB. So I, I would have no issue with paying him 35 or even $36 million. I, I, I don't. One of my not. favorite things about this is, like, on the page mm. where I posted, like, let him walk in response to some Dak thing. <laughs> Is I whenever someone likes it, unless it's like you, I don't know if they literally agree with that statement or they realize I'm a giant fan. 
who would love Dak Prescott to walk. <laughs> I don't know, and I know the cowboy, uh, what do they call it, Trump derangement syndrome. There is cowboy <laughs> derangement syndrome, I think. But, like, he owns the division. He makes the Cowboys, I think the worst season we've had with him at quarterback is, is eight-loss season. And the other two seasons, we won the division and won double-digit games, one of the years winning 13 games. So it's like no matter what you think of him, with him driving the car, he has the second best, and I'm not big on win-loss records, but with him driving the car, the Cowboys win a lot of games. So why would you want that guy to sign up long-term from a logic perspective? I mean, the counter-argument in any way. <laughs> I mean, the, the counter-argument would obviously be he's not a good team around him, and you pay him this much, especially because, I mean, he was making less than a million, right? So yeah, this yeah. giant leap, now you have less money to spend elsewhere. The argument is the Joe Flacco situation where you're like, oh, well, we have to keep this guy. He's helped us win. And then the surrounding cast isn't as good. And then you just win less because he can't elevate the people around him. They were elevating him. I think Dak is better yeah. than Joe Flacco. I think Joe Flacco had one magical postseason. Dak had multiple very good seasons. So I would be less concerned with that than like. And also the cap just keeps rising. So eventually, you know, two years down the line, this contract's like, oh, it's an average. Like it's probably like the tenth highest contract and you're not that it's not crazy anymore and too the cowboys have wasted a lot of like the cowboys are so unique it's so screwed up because we had this zeke and we obviously (laughs) overpaid zeke but before last season it didn't seem like that could actually carry the load without zeke now and i still don't know if dak is doing well because of zeke's presence just being there, but it, this year the team ran more through Dak than it did Zeke, and Dak took that leap. But before that, it seemed like Zeke was a heartbeat, even though I'm generally against paying running backs, but you paid Zeke, you paid uh, Jalen Smith a little too quickly, uh, you paid, uh, I think you paid Lael Collins too, because they were trying to give all these guys contracts early to send a message to Dak and Zeke and 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 Amari Cooper, and so now you've got a mess where you spent more money than you probably already should have. <laughs> it's just the way Jerry Jones does business. Like, he does business the same way the NFL does discipline. is all reactionary, and when he's under the gun, he'll finally make the decision, but it's all reactionary. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, the huge, biggest advantage you can have in pro football now is a, is a good QB on a rookie contract. And they had a good QB on a minuscule contract. And year one, they had 13 and three, you're like, great. But they never were able to take advantage of it like the way, the way that St. Louis like went all in and almost won a Super Bowl with Jared Goff because they had a ton of money to spend because they, did, they weren't having to constantly renegotiate people's contracts because they'd made mistakes in the past. Like the, the Cowboys have never, throughout Dak's tenure, had the chance to just be like, oh, we're going to go grab this free agent or we're going to make this trade for this high-paid, really good player. They haven't been able to do it because their their cap situation is always fucked up. 
and then Jerry signs six-year deals and constantly plays a shell game with the money to keep it under the cap, which is just like a mess. Uh, Smith got a six-year deal, which is not how most teams do business. Smith got a six-year deal. Uh, Zeke got a six-year deal. It's just really ridiculous. And so now we have this situation where you got we have $80 million and you got to pay – actually, Robert Quinn is up too, but you got to pay – basically Dak, Brian Jones, and Amari Cooper, and it, it it's going to be really tight. And you might lose Byron Jones with a secondary that is kind of makeshift, especially without him. Yeah, the, the, that's the other really frustrating thing to me about, like, I'm well, I mean, I guess I'm glad because I wouldn't guess it would be awful. But <laughs> <laughs> frustrating from a team-building standpoint, it's like, look, the guys you extend early. All right, Collins is a, a tackle. So tackles, that's a valuable position. I understand wanting to do that. I mean, I've always been I, – I still think drafting Zeke was a mistake. <laughs> I would have drafted Jalen Ramsey and just had really good DBs. But, yeah, but it never you know, him. you pay – you're going to pay a running back in the $10 millions of dollars every single season. Like you said, you extend Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith – you know, obviously he had, was coming off an awesome year. He was really key to that defense. But the reality is, who's more valuable, your number one corner or an inside linebacker, especially when you have Leighton Van Der Esch on the team already? It's extending these guys at positions that aren't – they are not the way that you win. How do you win? QB. That's the number one thing you need. On defense, the number one thing you can have is a good corner. Omari Cooper clearly improved the offense when he came in. Those are like the three guys you should have been trying to sign first before anyone else. And they're the three guys that are left. And the only reason they're not totally freaking out is because since we don't have the new CBA, they can use the franchise and transition tags to make sure that Deck and Amari don't leave. Like otherwise you'd be potentially watching Amari and Byron Jones hit free agency. Like it's just horrible management. If they transition Amari, he's going to be really pissed off. And Dak won't like the, the franchise tag, but my God, transition tag, that's not even that used that often. But, it, yeah, it's just, it's just a mess, and I don't think people realize how big of a mess it is. And one thing is because they they keep taking shortcuts. So in, you draft Zeke, which is a shortcut, and then you make your philosophy because you have this good line and good, a good running back. You make your philosophy, you build it around a running back, which almost no other team is doing that and having success in the league. So then your running back becomes more valuable than he should be. Then you pay him. So then you're on this cycle. But now you still live in a league where you have to pay quarterback. But now the quarterback has come up. And so you're just, like, stuck. And you might lose a Pro Bowl caliber. Uh, he's very underrated, but if you look at PFF and you look at his quarterback rating against, this is a guy who is close to elite or an elite corner. I think uh, two years ago he had, like, a 90. He's in the high 80s for pro football focus. You're losing a very important player. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm thrilled. I would – if the Giants spend big money on anyone, I want it to be Lyron Jones. Because <laughs> I look at all these pass rushers, I'm like, you know, Shaq Barrett's not going to get 19 sacks the game. You're going to pay that guy like $18 million. But you could get a corner who's really good 
for 15 or 16, so you save money compared to a pass rusher. So I, you know, I'm thrilled that he's probably going to be leaving you guys, even if we can't get him. I'm glad he'll be somewhere else <laughs> because he's a really good player. And yeah, sometimes exactly. I think some people, some people probably look at it and they see that like, you know, I think he's intercepted like two passes in his career, and that's not great. You prefer a guy to pick off more passes, but are people completing passes against him? No, I think I read today yeah. that like after week after week two of this last season, no one had got had more than forty five yards against him. Like <laughs> I know. granted the Eagles the had no receivers all season, but still, like <laughs> he's really good. He's plays the most important position on a defense. And he's gonna be walking. Like that's that's just yeah, that, really that, frustrating that, for that, yeah, from a team building standpoint. And two, with the way the Cowboys have drafted, which everyone has given Jerry and Steven praise, but then the actual managing of the, the roster, once you've done it, has become problematic. And it's just really sad, but um, I don't know. I just, ah, it's so frustrating as a Cowboys fan <laughs> to see it. Between seeing the mismanagement and people not understanding Dak's value in the league. I would have said possibly before last year you could put Teddy Bridgewater in there and maybe you would get a similar mm-hmm. result. But after seeing what happened last year, I don't think that's the case. I mean, what would what yeah, the Cowboys I, do if they did get rid of Dak? Well, shoot. I mean, your your best options for next year would be – Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Tannehill, or Andy Dalton. So those those are the three oh, guys we're looking at. Now, t- Rivers. or Rivers, I guess that's true. You could get Rivers, but I mean, and then what? Do you, depending on which guy you get, are you then are you now drafting a quarterback? And maybe that works out yeah. because again, like maybe you get maybe you get Rivers, and then a year or two down the line, you know, I don't know, Jordan Love is your quarterback and maybe he turns out to be good and then you're in the Dak situation again where you're not paying a guy a lot of money but I mean if you let a guy like Dak go that's the reality though is now you're like you're trying to luck out whereas right now yeah. it's like oh no you have a good quarterback and there is a certain point where it becomes a negative where you end up in the Flacco zone where I mean they, had, they could have just had Tyrod Taylor for all those years and he would have played as well as Flacco, and they would have had a ton of money. So at a certain point, yeah. it becomes a mistake. But when you've seen a guy play at the level that Dak has for an entire season, and again, first full season, well, a season and a half, really, because once Amari Cooper got there. And then he also got better when Kellen Moore came in. And I think Mike McCarthy's a better coach than Jason Garrett. So you have a lot of reasons to believe he'll continue to play at this level. So to me, rolling the dice is a crazy option. At this point, the, like yeah. you said, and also though, you're paying. You know, people don't understand is you're paying. You're looking at the past, but you're paying for the future. So you're anticipating that he'll continue to improve, or at least play on the level that he did last year. Uh, they understand that with Brady, you know, obviously you're not going to pay Tom Brady too much or Fairfield Rivers too much, <laughs> yeah. not pay them for the past. But you have to look at the trajectory of where he is. And you're paying him for the next three to five years, anticipating him to be a top ten quarterback. 
hopefully, you know, best case scenario, top five or top three quarterback. So that that's also part of it too, but people say they're not worth it and those kind of things. But if you look at the actual quarterback metrics, like the advanced metrics were really favorable, but his whole career, the QBR has been very favorable. His quarterback rating has been very favorable. Just with him at – and obviously I don't think he's elevated the play of his teammates until this year, but almost have to pay him in my in my opinion. Yeah, like you said, like if even if you get Phillip Rivers and you believe he's a better QB than back, which at this point is a little questionable, he could drop off the face of the earth because that's just what happens at some point. We don't, no one has any idea when that is. Like Drew Brees and Tom Brady are still going strong, but like when it happened to Peyton, it was immediate. It was fast. When Favre was a Pro Bowl the year before, then awful. Dan Marino, same thing. Like really good, then awful. At a certain point, you just become awful. So if you get a guy like that, you don't know. Tannehill, we've seen him play at a high level, but it's for half a season versus a season and a half. And even his rookie year, I mean, Dak didn't have to carry the load, but he played really efficiently. And like you said, really at his worst, Dak has been an average QB at his worst. And at his best, I mean, you could argue he was like the fifth or sixth best QB last year. So, yeah. I, to me, it would be insane to not hold on to Dak. And I think people who advocate that, especially if they are Cowboys fans, because like, like you said, there's Cowboy derangement syndrome, which is very accurate. Like sometimes people just can't be rational. Like, oh, wait, Dak is a good QB. Just because he plays for the Cowboys doesn't mean he's shit and you have to hate him. But Yeah, oh, or even yeah especially if you're a Cowboys fan, recognize he's good. Yeah, because you can't. Say that again? It's like this is just how the NFL works. When they walk to the table, we start at Jared Goff and Wentz's contract. We start at thirty-three million. Yeah, like you're not having a serious conversation if you're going, but probably below Goff. But thirty-two, thirty-three million is where mm-hmm. we're starting per year. Like that's not even something yeah. that is a serious conversation. And and you know it's not Madden. And he probably would accept that on that. But, yeah, that, that's a serious conversation. I guess people are really far removed. Or they just don't want to accept the market value of a quarterback these days either, I think. Yeah, because like I said, if if you made him the highest paid QB, as long as, you know, if it, if it was actually the $40 million that people have thrown out there, which I can't imagine is a real sticking point, that would be crazy. But if he's the highest paid QB for, you know, a few months, that's not that big a deal. Because yeah, it wouldn't be long. In the middle of that contract, but by the time you're in the middle of that contract, he's like the eighth highest paid QB. Like I don't remember what Cam yeah. Newton's was when he signed it, but he's like twentieth now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it's it constantly goes as long as the salary cap goes up, the contract values go up, especially if you're a QB and the league just gets more and more QB driven. So yeah, to be upset that like oh he might be like remember Stafford signed that contract a couple of years ago and I was like ah oh, yeah he's never like won that. anything this is fucking crazy what who's talking about his contract now no one because it's been passed by a bunch of people yeah even the Cousins one which was just a couple of years ago what the eighty something million guarantee and I guess he gets like maybe twenty eight yeah. a year or something like it's a, like like a bargain and that's like a year or two later. Yeah, because who, who's out here like, oh, Jared Goff's better than, definitely better than Cousins and Stafford. 
I mean, you'd probably say those guys are roughly equal. I'd probably take – I would take Stafford over Goff for sure. I might – Cousins is probably 50-50. But th- that's the point. Like, it constantly moves up. Like, don't – you can't sweat it if it's a small bump up from where previous guys were. Unless it's just some yeah. insane contract, there's no reason for people to be freaking out about this. And also, something that we had uh, said, the two teams you're competing with, to make the playoffs and in your division, just pay the quarterback. So you're not going to be that big of a disadvantage, and you don't want to have a worse quarterback than Golf or Carson Wentz when you're looking at a wild card and you're looking at a division with the with the Eagles. I think that matters too. That they they're going to be have the same constraints of having to pay a quarterback, and also you want to be able to compete with a – you know that Dak is at least on their level, and for the foreseeable future, you would think you'd be competing with those two teams. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you look at the division right now. Yeah, you're really just competing – unless something surprising happens. You're really just competing probably this year, maybe even the next year, against the Eagles because, I mean, the Giants, their whole the whole defense, is it's, it's trash. It's awful. Great job repairing that, Gettleman. And then, you know, Washington, I mean, we assume they're going to be a, you know, more professional organization now, but who knows with them. And you've got two QBs who are unproven. Maybe they'll turn out to be good. Maybe they'll justify those picks, but maybe they won't. Maybe they're Mitch Trubisky's. So you're really looking at right now you want to beat the Eagles and then you win the division. And then, yeah, now you're going up against maybe it's the Rams. I mean, you could – you could make a good argument that if you if the Cowboys right now with Dak, you face the Rams in the playoffs, you have the better QB. Face the Niners, you have the better QB. You know, I mean, outside of yeah. you know, even Green Bay, like who? How much did Aaron Rodgers really play better than Dak Prescott this last year? Last year, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Drew, Drew Brees is forty-one years old. Like, don't throw this away and restart. That doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. So, and I, I mean, I, I as a Cowboy fan, I was definitely on the fence, um, but I think he definitely proved to me that he was worth it. But uh, I think uh, I think we covered a lot of ground. We covered the highest office in the land and the most most important position in sports. And we did we did a lot today. <laughs> All right, Joe. I guess I wrap it up. You have any parting thoughts? Um. Well, the, the Giants today just released a couple linebackers, which is good because we freed up more cap. And now I'm just waiting for Dave Gettleman to spend $18 million on a guard. So it's a really exciting time. It's going to be great. I want to hear – I can't wait for more combine quotes from Gettleman. He always has just great quotes in draft season. There. I really enjoy it. <laughs> what was the offense one? He was just like, it doesn't matter. One guy passes the ball. One guy runs. It's all offense. I was like, what the all hell does that mean? Like what are you ball. talking about? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, as frustrated as you are with the way your team has been managed, man, the last four years of Jerry Reese and then all the years of Gettleman, Oh, I, I envy you. Are you guys even? Are you even signing Leonard Williams back? I haven't even followed that after that trade. Like, I don't think you're signing him back, are you? I don't know that we should. <laughs> it was a bad trade. No, I don't know that but I want you to like double down and spend twelve million dollars on Leonard Williams. <laughs> the yeah, only place on our defense that we have talent 
is the interior defensive line, and we traded for an interior defensive lineman. None of it makes sense to me. It's all madness. I I don't know what to do. The draft will be fine. All right, thanks, Joe. The draft will be fine. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That, that was my favorite guest, Joe Matt. Wide range of conversation. Uh, if I didn't say it to the lead in, please give us five stars on iTunes. Share the podcast if you enjoy it. Uh, give us a review. Give us five stars. And until next time, this has been the RC Report. <laughs>